0: Good morning, folks. We'd like to welcome you to our service this Lord's Day morning. Dr. Kevin's going to come in just a moment and lead us as we sing the great anthem, Holy, Holy, Holy. We join, of course, with the angelic choruses when we sing uh, that song together as a church family. It's a blessing to put our focus as we gather on the Lord's Day on the greatness and the grandeur of our God. I was thinking this morning in preparation for the service of fires that are happening in California and the Gulf uh, that is just now being. uh, prepared for more storms coming in, and yet as we gather here this morning and look at the beauty of what God has created for us, we can marvel at his attendant superintendence of our world day by day and glory that he is holy, perfect, and just, and righteous, and I trust that we'll put our focus on him this morning and sing his praises together. As we stand pleased to sing, Dr. Kevin will come to lead us. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Kevin's going to come in just a moment to open our service in prayer. Let's be praying today along with the missionaries for whom we pray, as well as those who are in leadership over us politically. He'll be praying today for Mike Gastonow. His mother passed away uh, this week. And also uh, Ralph Johnson passed away this week. I know you'll want to be praying for Jenny and for their family. Uh, there's going to be a visitation uh, tomorrow at 11 o'clock, followed by the funeral at 2, and that will be right here at the church. So to be praying for the Johnson family uh, during this time. Dr. Kevin's going to come and lead our service in prayer, please.
1: Lord, we're humbled as we come into your presence. You are a mighty and awesome God, pure in all your ways, righteous and holy, and beyond our comprehension. We realize that many in Scripture are recorded to have entered your presence and fallen down and bowed down before you out of reverence and fear. We pray, Lord, that that would be our response in worship today, that it would be that which changes our lives, and we would go from this place more like Christ, more resolved to follow him, and be a witness to others. Thank you for the privilege to pray on behalf of our government officials. We do pray today for Senator Todd Young that you might grant him wisdom, help him Lord to realize that there is a God to whom we are accountable and that uh, there are many principles of scripture that can guide us in difficult decisions. So help him to look to you and to your word. We pray also for our missionaries in Tanzania and France, for the Browers, for the Pepes. We pray Lord that you might enable them to effectively minister your word today that you would provide for their financial needs their physical needs and for their safety we realize there's trouble around our world so we pray for them that you would help them to be wise in the choices they make but bold in the proclamation of the gospel we do pray for those who've experienced the death of a loved one this week we pray for the gastonos pray for michael and his family and pray that you would give them opportunities to minister grace to those who are grieving, that you would especially use your word to encourage and comfort. We pray also for the Johnson family who will gather tomorrow and to s- celebrate the life of Ralph, a, a real gentle- Christian gentleman, and for his faith in Christ, we give you praise and for how he's impacted his family for a long time. Lord, we thank you again that you are worthy of our praise today, and we ask that you might receive our worship in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. We'll be singing our next hymn this morning, How Great Thou Art. Oh, Lord, my
2: God, when I am awesome,
1: scripture reading this morning after which we'll hear an ensemble challenge us to worship Christ today.
3: This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 138. I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried thou answerest me. And strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the words of thine own hands.
2: Shout, shout out for joy.
0: ensemble. That was a special blessing this morning. All God's people said, amen. I'd like to let our children know, kindergarten to fourth grade and their parents, that we're going to be dismissing right now as we stand to sing in just a moment over to the uh, Taylor Chapel. Uh, The ministry of the uh, preschoolers is ongoing as well as the nursery this morning and we rejoice in that. Something new that you may want to be uh, thinking about after the service this morning as you look out the door, there's a farm stand across the street. Uh, This is zucchini. Season, and so if you're looking for one, we've got them across the street. There's an international garden that you perhaps have uh, driven by, uh, down past our soccer field. That's been a real blessing to the international ministry, but they have some surplus. And if you'd like to pick up that surplus, anytime you see anything in that farm stand, just stop by, and uh, and grab it as you go. But right now, we're going to stand together as Dr. Kevin comes to lead us in song. His name is wonderful. Let's sing it together. ask you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn, please, to a familiar passage in God's Word, the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians deal with rich positional truths for the believer. We discover there that though we were dead in trespasses and sin, He's made us alive and He's seated us together in heavenly places. Then beginning in chapter 4 through the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, We find real practical truths as to how we should live out our Christian lives, whether it be in the home or in the workplace. And so this morning we're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, and we begin our reading in the 10th verse of Ephesians chapter 6, where we read these words that we've come to know well. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet Shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and all supplication for all saints. I'd like our focus to be on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18 this morning. As we learn what it means to be dressed for spiritual success, let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Father, I pray now that You would allow us with anticipation to eagerly attend to Your Word, that the Spirit of God might move in our hearts, solidify our faith, make us able to stand. May we indeed today find our loins girt about with Your truth, led by Your Spirit. Lord, I pray in dependence upon the Spirit of God that You would illumine our minds this morning. So we might be proper receptors of the word, not simply hearers of it, but doers also. And Lord, may the gospel be clear this morning, and may your people be built up in the faith, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. John Malloy first published his famous book, Dressed for Success, back in 1975. Through the editions that were published, over 3 million people purchased that book. So popular were the precepts of power dressing that Malloy put forward, that he was invited to speak to 380 of the 500 companies that are known as the Fortune 500. John Malloy taught that success in business can be tied to a person's wardrobe. Now, let me confess, I'm not sure whether to agree with Malloy or not on the topic of a person's wardrobe and its impact on your business success, but I am sure of this. It is imperative that you be dressed for spiritual success. In Ephesians 6, we read in the 11th verse, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Every Christian is in a spiritual battle. Verse 12 makes that abundantly clear. We read in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our spiritual enemy is extremely powerful, and he's very carefully organized. 1 Peter 5 famously reminds us in that eighth verse to be sober and be vigilant knowing that our adversary the devil as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour. And so we read in Ephesians 6 and verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. It is imperative, according to this passage, that you be dressed for spiritual success. Now, the Apostle Paul spent many years in the company of Roman soldiers. In fact, in Acts chapter 23, when Paul's life was threatened and he was taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea by the sea, he was accompanied along the pathway by 200 Roman footmen, 70 Roman cavalry members, 200 more Roman spear carriers. Paul knew the Roman army and he knew them well. In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes in Rome, having been taken prisoner there in Rome, being guarded by the praetorian guard, the very guard who watched over the Caesars. Day by day, the Apostle Paul would have seen Roman soldiers as they awakened and went about their duties. He would have known well the various components of their uniforms. And the Spirit of God uses the Apostle Paul's knowledge of the Roman soldier's uniform to challenge us along the way. The Spirit of God inspires the Apostle Paul to look at these various elements of the Roman soldier's uniform and challenge the believer to understanding. Understanding of this, that every one of us is living in a spiritual battle zone. Understanding that unseen forces are all around us every day. And they're seeking to destroy you. They're seeking to destroy me. Evil minions of temptation surround us. Along the way, they fire off their fiery darts of doubt and discouragement. They place tripwires before us. Sometimes tripwires of discontent. Sometimes tripwires of lust. Sometimes tripwires of anger or worldliness. When you go out in the morning, they're there. When you come home in the evening, they're there. When you put your head on the pillow at night and you rest yourself for a new day coming, they are not at rest. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual powers in high places, ever so carefully organized and ever so powerful. And friend, you will not survive unless you're dressed for success. As you open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, the Spirit of God commands in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God and reiterates that same command in the 13th verse, take the whole armor of God. In other words, God is commanding you and God is commanding me to get dressed. Here is a call to spiritual attention and spiritual action. We are to be fitted very necessarily as that Roman soldier placed upon himself his, his girdle, his breastplate, his helmet, his shoes, carried his sword, the Spirit of God is going to build for us a metaphor so that we can see and picture very pointedly and very powerfully how we ought to be prepared as we go forth to battle. I want to offer you this morning an acrostic to help you as you Consider, Are am I carefully dressed for the battle in which God desires for me to be engaged? Perhaps this acrostic will help you memorize and understand the passage to which we've turned this morning. I want you to notice with me that in verse 14, we're being told that our loins are to be girt about with truth. I'm going to ask a question with every letter of this acrostic, and the first question I'm going to ask today is this question, are you devoted to truth? Are you devoted to truth? Then in verse 14, he introduces us to the breastplate of righteousness. Here I would ask the question, are you righteous? Are you righteous? In verse 15, we're told to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so we ask, are you evangelizing? In verse 16, we read, above all, take the shield of faith. Are you shielded in faith? In verse 17, the helmet of salvation is discussed. And so we would ask this morning, are you secure in your salvation? In verse 17, the sword of the Spirit is to be picked up and that sword of the Spirit is identified as the Word of God. And of course we ask, are you engaging the enemy biblically? And finally in verse 18, an appropriate conclusion. We read, praying always, are you diligent in prayer. You cannot be dressed for spiritual success without putting on every part of the armor that is listed here. And let me confess this morning, I fear that I may send some out half-dressed. What do you mean? I mean by that, we're only going to be looking at about half of these pieces of the armor this morning. We're going to be making our way through the first three parts of the armor that are presented in Ephesians chapter 5, So, today I want to ask you to give very careful attention and throughout the week be asking the Spirit of God to challenge your heart as I'm asking the Spirit of God to challenge me so that we can be prepared in the day of battle, so that we can be dressed for spiritual success. Let's begin by looking at verse 14. Verse 14 says, Gird your loins with truth. And we're asking the question, Are you devoted to truth? It's no accident that the girdle or the belt that is being described here in verse 14 is the first piece of equipment that is being considered. The Roman soldier wore a fairly nondescript tunic squared off at the bottom, and as he would prepare for battle, the very first piece of armor that he would be putting on would be that girdle, typically a leather girdle. Sometimes that leather would be trimmed out with linen, so it would be less scratchy as the soldier would Use that particular piece to tie everything else together. This belt or this girdle would give the soldier mobility. This belt or girdle would give the soldier utility, and often it would give the soldier dignity. What do you mean, Pastor Phelps? Well, it would give the soldier utility. From the belt would be hanging the scabbard. From the belt may be hanging ropes, meals, all kinds of implements, darts that the soldier would use as he went off to battle. Dangling from that belt there would be leather, that would cover the legs. It would be strapped on with a strap that went around the shoulder. shoulder. That's, that belt was used for utility, but it was also used for mobility. Into that belt would be tucked up that tunic, so in the time of war, that soldier could run valiantly forward without fear of being tripped up. And on the belt, much like soldiers today display on their chest, their medals, medallions, service awards, To the belt of the soldier would be the medallions and service awards that would display their integrity in battle. So notice, Christian, you're instructed in verse 14 to gird about your loins with truth. I'd like to suggest this morning that we're living in a generation that's echoing the question that Pontius Pilate asked so many years ago. In a moment of frustration, with regard to the responsibilities that he was carried, with the expectations of the culture pressing upon him, confusion with regard to the religious leaders of his day, Pontius Pilate very famously asked the question, what is truth? Now there's a question that's being asked every day, all around us. There are voices everywhere that are asking, what is truth? Those who study philosophy, and integrate that philosophy into society, tell us that we're living in a generation that's known as a postmodern generation. What exactly does that mean? It means we have left off scientific rationalism and we've moved into a new era of mental discovery. The scientific rationalists believe that there was some destiny to which our minds could go in order to find objective Truth that their truth is truth. But in a postmodern age, there is no objective truth to be found. Postmodernists believe that every person has a bit of truth and every culture represents a little bit of that. So up becomes down because after all, truth is subjective. What may be truth for you is not truth for me. And down has become up. There are those who are seeking alternative truths that lead to alternative lifestyles in an increasingly antagonistic, increasingly atheistic age. If you're wondering why are we suffering such political division in America today? I just told you why. We're suffering political division because we've left off objective truth. Why is our culture so filled with confusion? I just told you why. Because in a postmodern age, truth has been left behind As people seek subjectively what they believe to be their own personal truth. Why is there such little interest in spiritual things? The answer, of course, because we live in an age that does not abide any objective truth. And so, Christian, let me make a very strong statement this morning. I hope you're listening. You will never survive unless you devote yourself to the objective truth of God's word. There are those who are asking, is there any such thing as truth anymore? And Jesus, of course, answers when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus answers when he said in John 17 and verse 17, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. The Bible does not contain truth. The Bible is truth. It is God's truth for every generation. Now, there are some who will respond if you say that the Bible is truth. It is God's standard, God's touchstone, objective truth for every generation, for every culture, for every people. There are some who will respond, that's very arrogant. Aren't you being arrogant to believe that there's some kind of objective truth? And aren't you being the height of arrogance when you say you believe that God's word is truth? May I recommend that it's far more arrogant to try to tailor truth to your personal preference than it is to simply believe that that God's word is truth? You see, the truth of God's word is stated in the book of Genesis that God created the heaven and the earth. That's God's truth. God's truth is that God created He created all that we see, the beauty and the symmetry, the design requires a designer, the fabulous glory that's displayed round about us according to the simple statement of God's word, God created. And let me say I think it's far more arrogant to say that science now has a theory that suggests that all that we see came about as a process called evolution, which encompassed millions of years that can never be observed. Which is more arrogant? To say the Bible says that God created and I believe that design requires a designer, order requires one who's a planner, and I see the beauty and the handiwork of God in all around about me. Is that more arrogant? The truth of God's word is the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. That's God's order for the home in every culture, in every circumstance, in every generation. And let me say, I think it's far more arrogant to say, well, we're living in a more enlightened era, Pastor Phelps, than the Ephesians were living in when that statement was written in Ephesians chapter 5. Wait a minute. The truth of God's word is, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That's God's will for every marriage. And it's arrogant to respond, yes, but you know, God would want me to be happy, and in my marriage, I'm so miserable. Are you listening this morning? The truth of God's word is the wages of sin is death. That's God's warning to all. And it's arrogant to respond, well, God is too loving to judge sin. That's your speculative opinion. And it's checker block full of arrogance the truth of God's word is it's not by works of righteousness that we have done but it's according to his mercy that he saves us that's God's plan for salvation that Christ would die for our sins the just for the unjust to bring us to God and the word of God says and whoever will dependently call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and it's far more arrogant to think I can earn my way into heaven The truth of God's word is that God created them male and female. And while that can be proved biologically and genetically and psychologically and, and socially, it's far more arrogant to say, I think I have a better plan. Every Christian living in 2020 needs to study God's word so that they can rightly divide the word of truth. Knowing that 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 warns in the last time, many will fall away from the truth. Peter actually says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you in the time of resurrection. Are you devoted to the truth? Will you affirm that this book is God's word for all ages? When it says, all have sinned, all have. When it says Christ died for our sins, he did. When it says Christ is coming, he will. When it says hell is real, it is. When it says salvation of the Lord, that's the truth. Verse 14 tells us that very, the very beginning of the battle is that we've gird up our loins with truth. Now watch how verse continues. Verse 14 continues by saying, having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Are you covered with the breastplate of righteousness? Now, the the Roman breastplate surrounded the soldier's vital organs. It wrapped around the body, much like body armor wraps around a police officer in our generation. It was there to make the soldier rather impregnable when he went into the battle. And so we ask the question as we read verse 14, how does the believer wear the breastplate of righteousness? And what protection does the breastplate of righteousness offer to me? Well, every believer first has positional righteousness. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, something wonderful happens. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 explains, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made now, watch it, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You can't weave together your own robe of righteousness. We are made the righteousness of God in Him by faith. This is positional righteousness. Romans 3 assures us in verse 22 that the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, is given. It's given to all those who believe. And when we ask the question, well, How does this happen? Romans 4 and verse 6 says, God imputeth or attributes to us the righteousness of Christ. This is a big word here. This is a vicarious transaction. That when Christ carried our sins to the cross, those who believe by faith that he paid for their sins and accept him as Savior receive the robe of righteousness. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, God, by His grace, takes away your old sin-stained robes and places upon you the wonderful, pure robes of righteousness of Christ. He puts the spotless robes of righteousness on you. This is positional righteousness. If you've trusted in Christ, God, by His grace, places the righteousness of Christ upon you. That's why we love to sing the song that says his robe's for mine. A wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Does the breastplate of righteousness cover you? Well, then you ought to be practicing righteousness. For your own spiritual heart health, there is not only the joy of understanding I have positional righteousness, but there's the responsibility of practical righteousness, living out your faith. 1 Timothy 6 says in verse 11, we follow after righteousness. Now the technical word for that is sanctification. Romans 6 says in verse 13, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now listen, sanctification is becoming in practice what you already are in position. You have been made righteousness. The robes of Christ have been placed upon you. And now you have a responsibility as you cooperate with the Spirit of God who is now within you. To practice righteousness, that's sanctification. It is practicing that which you already are positionally. Sinning saints cannot stand against the attacks of Satan. The Apostle Paul knew this well, and so he said in Acts 24 and verse 16, Herein do I exercise myself, to have always a conscience that's void of offense before God and before man, The Apostle Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. I keep my body under and bring it in subjection lest by any means when I preach to others I myself should be a castaway. You can't stand as a good soldier if you're living in sin. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says those who are wicked will flee when no one pursues them but the righteous will stand as boldly as a lion, the Roman breastplate protected the heart, the fountain of life, the seed of emotions. And even so, the breastplate of righteousness protects the heart of the believer. From the heart can come those fears, those doubts. From the heart can be displayed those temptations. And when we're assaulted by Satan, the Christian will only stand in power When the Christian stands having on the breastplate of righteousness, knowing I am positionally given the robes of Christ to cover me from my sin, and I am practicing my Christian faith so that I'm not vulnerable when attacks come. Back on the 23rd of December, 1975, Raymond Johnson was shot four times. A police officer in Seattle, Washington, Raymond Johnson was shot just above the heart, just below the lung, He survived, in fact, he was the first one ever to survive wearing a Kevlar vest. The vest weighed 60 pounds, a bulletproof vest, that he didn't much like strapping on in the morning, but he loved taking off that particular day. Over 4,000 police officers in America have been protected from death because they've worn body armor. Believer, at the moment of your salvation, you were covered by the Spirit of God, by the righteousness of Christ. The bulletproof vest of righteousness covers us on into eternity. His robes have been exchanged for mine. Don't become vulnerable by laying aside your practical righteousness for a moment of sin and becoming vulnerable to the adversary, the devil who is ever going about seeking whom he may devour. It's interesting, Dr. D. James Kennedy, a number of years ago from Coral Ridge, Florida, developed an evangelistic program that he taught and modeled and trained people to use around the world. It was called Evangelism Explosion, better known as EE. The people who participated in Evangelism Explosion were once asked a question. In fact, thousands of people were asked this same question. What is it that keeps you from witnessing to others? Now, one would expect the answer would be, well, I'm kind of fearful or I don't feel as prepared as I ought to to be. You know what the number one answer was of the people who honestly answered that survey? They answered this way, I'm embarrassed to share my faith because I'm not living a victorious life. The breastplate of righteousness, if you're not assured of salvation positionally, if you're not practicing righteousness, you'll be a very poor testimony and intimidated by the whole process. Friend, you need to wear the breastplate of righteousness with confidence. Confident of your position in Christ, practicing your faith daily. If you're to be dressed for spiritual success, you must be first devoted to the truth. You need to be also covered with the breastplate of righteousness. And finally, this morning, I want us to look at verse 15. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We ask the simple question are you evangelizing? Now, the Roman soldier's footwear was particularly useful. The Roman soldier's footwear was kind of like the golfer's shoe that has spikes or kind of like the football player's cleat. It was embedded with cleat, a half inch of leather strapped to the ankle so that that soldier could travel all day and still enter into a battle that evening. Verse 15 suggests that our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I think this verse is suggesting two ideas. We need to stand because we're confirmed in the gospel. and We need to stand being willing to carry the gospel. Let Let me explain. The believer must stand confirmed in the gospel. Can you say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Are you confident that the one who began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of salvation? It's almost become faddish in our generation for people to make this statement. I preach the gospel to myself every day. But there is truth in that statement. We have to repeat to our hearts the position that God has given to us in the gospel. And as we repeat those wonderful gospel truths to our heart, let's remember it's the gospel of peace. So if your heart is troubled and your mind is agitated, how precious to remind your heart of the truth that Christ died for my sins, according to the Scripture. How wonderful to know that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and that includes me. How thrilling to say in refreshing our heart that God so loved the world, that includes me, that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, for my sin. The preparation of the gospel of peace. The idea there being. Repeat this often. Consider it regularly. May it be the muse of your day. May it refresh your heart from moment to moment. And then carry it with you. This preparation of the gospel of peace means I need to be ready to share this gospel with others. 1 Peter 3 says in verse 15 that I'm to be ready always, you're to be ready always to give answer of every man who asks you of the hope that lies within you. There are unsaved people all around us who need to hear the gospel. It's good news. There are people in our neighborhoods, in our community today, who are confused and troubled. They have no foundation, no certainty of eternity. They wrestle with sin and they need to hear the gospel of peace. Oftentimes we fear that when we share the gospel, you know we're going to be talking to someone about sin and they're not going to like me. It's the gospel of peace. It's the good news. There's no more wonderful news that you can ever share with anyone than this good news that Christ died for your sins. That God has made a way through which that person can have everlasting life. God does not want us to be wearing slippers. We're not in the Christian life to be lounging. God does not want us to be strapping on our athletic shoes and making, all about, making it all about indulging our bodies. He wants us to be foot shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I've told you before, one of the most moving moments I've ever enjoyed in ministry was the time when my daughter and I, back in 1999, found ourselves in a village in Belarus. There in that village, we had the privilege of listening as the gospel was shared with about 30 people and about half of them came to Christ as Savior. Such a humble village that the people couldn't actually fit in the building where they were supposed to meet. Thatch was the roof. A big bird had built its nest up atop of it. They had to wait for the service till literally the cows came home. And that day after the service, one dear lady stood crying, and I asked the interpreter to ask that lady why she cried. And I'll never forget her story. She said In 1939, my husband joined the resistance against Hitler and joined the Polish army. It didn't go very well, he disappeared from our family. I've lived here in this village as a widow for all these years. And she said, God gave me daughters, and I've prayed that my daughters would be saved. In fact, she said, I've prayed three prayers, that my daughters would be saved, that I'd hear from my husband. She said, my daughters have each come to Christ as Savior. My husband was able to escape to England, and after the Iron Curtain came down, he called. And what a joy it was to know that he survived, and he sent gifts to us and provided for our family, though he's too old now to travel. And then she said, the third thing for which I've prayed all these years is that someone would come to my village and share the gospel. And today, God answered that prayer. What a joy it was to represent the gospel of peace. That there are those roundabout in this world that don't know the blessings that we're reviewing this morning. Our loins are girt about with truth. No substitution for the truth that God gives. Our breast, the heart, the vital organs covered positionally throughout all eternity, covered practically day to day by the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us from sin, His robes for mine. And now feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that I can preach it to my own heart and rejoice that Christ died for my sins and so I can share it with others that Christ who is the propitiation for my sins is also the propitiation for the sins of the world. So I asked the question this morning, are you dressed? Is your constant consideration these elemental truths of the Christian life that give you strength and make you stand, put on the whole armor of God, that you may stand? God would bless and allow us as believers in our generation to represent his truth clothed in his righteousness and sharing his word with others about. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one looking around. Father, this morning, we look into your word and we find great light for our path. We're not surprised because we find in it so many truths to reflect upon that an eternity will never plummet its depth for it represents the truths of your heart and your mind to us. And so this morning, I pray that you'd take these truths Implant them into the hearts of believers. Give them courage. Encourage them in the day of battle. And Lord, today, if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ as Savior, that that one would come to know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life and come to believe that Jesus Christ left heaven to die for their sins. Heads are bowed eyes are closed and no one looking around this morning. In a moment, I'm going to ask the instruments to play number 592. It's an unusual invitation song. But it's a song that was born of the burden of the songwriter who reflected on Ephesians chapter 6 and wrote, Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. As the instrument plays this morning, perhaps the Spirit of God has convicted your heart of the need to be a truth bearer in a generation of confusion. Perhaps the Spirit of God has convicted your heart this morning of the need to be considering often your position in Christ and the joy of knowing by faith that his blood has accomplished for you what your works could never accomplish, made you righteous before God. And challenged your heart this morning that we have good news. It's the gospel of peace that I can share with others who have no hope. If you're here this morning and you need to trust Christ as Savior, the instrument's gonna play one more verse. Pastor Greg's gonna be right here in the front. If it's your desire today to come to Christ, we'd invite you to come and introduce yourself to him here. Someone will take a Bible and take you to a private place and show you from God's word how you can know the blessing of salvation. Friend, are you devoted to truth? Are you righteous? Are you evangelizing?
4: you look this way just a moment you can be seated real quick I'm going to give you a few announcements and then we'll be dismissed thank you for joining us this morning and uh, we're glad that you're here perhaps you're visiting for the first time we want to say a word of welcome to you and if that's your case this morning we've made a way to uh, to connect with you online and so if you would take some time this afternoon right after this service go to our church website and just right down in the middle of the page you'll see an e-connection card there And if you would fill that out for us and submit it, we have a gift that we would like to be able to send to you in the mail. And so if you're visiting today, uh, we would love to be able to get that information and connect with you online. And So tonight, if you are considering membership at Colonial, we want to invite you to our prospective members meeting. So this will be our first prospective members meeting since we've been gathering back together. It'll be at 5 o'clock this evening right in Pastor's office. So just behind the Welcome Center there, Pastor, will meet you there at 5 p.m. And uh, this meeting is a prerequisite to membership, but it does not obligate you to join. So if you want to come and find out about membership at Colonial, feel free to come and get that information. We would also like to encourage you to be back with us this evening. Uh, Pastor Phelps is going to preach a message from Ezra 2 entitled, The Priority of a Proper Pedigree. And the nursery will be open at 545. Uh, The preschoolers will dismiss from the evening service. And then our live midweek ministries will gather on Wednesday. Uh, The babies and the preschoolers are going to be dropped off at their classes. The Kids for Truth begins in the gym at 645. The teens will meet across the street, uh, out by the soccer field in the bus barn area. And then the adults will meet right here in the auditorium. And the young adults, I believe, are still at the Reasons Home. There are, uh, information is online. And just a quick reminder, uh, before we stand and pray, the ushers will dismiss us from the back of the auditorium and be reminded to slip out the door as quick as you can, uh, giving us a chance to uh, get everything sanitized and ready for the next group to come in. So let's stand together and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the truth that we've heard from your word this morning. Lord, I pray that this truth would stir in our hearts. Lord, I pray that this truth would take root and grow up and produce fruit. And Lord, as I was listening to the message, I was thinking, what a blessing it is to be able to share the gospel. Lord, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us. Lord, that we would have eyes to see the souls of men that are walking around lost and on their way to an eternity in hell. Lord, may you raise up soul winners in this ministry. Lord, we'd have a burden to reach our city. God, help us as we go from this place today. Dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.